And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the phone line with us today is Pastor Al Baker. He serves with Presbyterian Evangelistic Fellowship. Pastor Al, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm glad to do it, Dan. Uh, It's always a pleasure to speak with you. You have a southern accent, and your roots are in the south, but I do recall that you used to minister in the northeast. Uh, Before we get started on our question today, uh, how many years were you here in the northeast? Yes, we were there. My wife and I uh, came up from St. Simon's Island, Georgia, southeast Georgia, in September of 2003, and we were there until the very end of 2011. So about nine years, a little over nine years, and we loved every minute of it. It was a big culture shock, as you can <laughs> imagine, for a Southerner. But we loved it, and I think that's where we met. I think you would come up that way and attend church occasionally. And um, so we've, uh, yeah, we, we loved it there. And uh, But God just led us back to the South. We're from Birmingham, Alabama. He led us back here about six years ago. We still miss the folks there. It was a wonderful church. Yeah. Well, it's an honor to have you on with us, and um, you send out emails, and uh, there was an email that you sent out the other day that asked a very interesting question, very timely, I thought, and that question is, why do so many people want to immigrate to the United States? And um, maybe you can just take it from there and share with us some of your thoughts on that question. Well, I think... um what what's leading to that, of course, is the big immigration debate that we now have in the United States. And um, since about 2000, the year 2000, uh, approximately one million immigrants have entered this country every year. Those are just the legal immigrants. And uh, something like um, uh, 47 million immigrants are now in the United States, and that's about 19 percent of uh, the international migrants worldwide and and about 14% of our population. So it's clearly uh, a place to come. And of course, there is some uh, illegal immigration, which we need to address. But, you know, our nation's always been open to people from all over the world to come. And so, um, you know, I I think it's a valid question. You know, why, why are people coming here? And really what's behind that question is you'll see a lot of people today, um, that are knocking the United States, people from the United States. They'll talk about us being an evil culture. We've got a wicked past with racism and so forth. And it got me to thinking, well, if it's such a wicked, vile place, why do people want to come here? As I just <laughs> mentioned, so many do. And so, um, and I think the, I think the short answer to that question is that um, we really have the best culture in the world. Now, the moment I make a statement like that, there are people who get all upset. How can you possibly say this is the best culture in the world? Uh, What about other cultures? And, of course, uh, there are other places that have some wonderful things. But the the bottom line for that is our Bill of Rights, you know, uh, the the First Amendments to our Constitution. Because there, I mean, where else in the world are you going to have the guarantee of the freedom of speech and the freedom of religion? Where in the world are you going to have the right to protect uh, ourselves and our property by bearing arms? The Second Amendment. Uh, The Fourth Amendment, we forbid illegal search and seizure of our property. We demand due process under the law. Our people are guaranteed the right to a speedy and public trial by jury of their peers. 
and uh, were considered innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Another thing, we have uh, uh, excessive bail or cruel or unusual punishments are not permissible. And then, um, and then no one is ever, um, no one is ever to be denied his own rights. And then individual states, even according to the Tenth, Command, uh, Tenth Amendment, have rights and are free to exercise them as long as they are not contrary to the United States. So, simply put, um, our culture is better. And the question is why? Because well, we were founded on the Judeo-Christian ethic that's found, of course, in the Holy Scriptures. So, I mean. If, if we really stop and think about it, it really is a no-brainer. I mean, is not the Judeo-Christian ethic and culture superior to an animistic culture in Africa or Papua New Guinea? Are we not superior, uh, you know, to people sacrificing their children to appease their false gods and ancestor worship? And that's what goes on in some of these cultures. Is not our culture better than the Muslim culture? which we know degrades women, allows men to have many wives, to consummate marriages with 11-year-old girls, and to engage in jihad, you know, to rid the world of the infidels. And the infidels, according to the Quran, are Jews, Greeks, and Christians. So, you know, I mean, it just seems to me obvious that our culture is better, for example, than the, the Appalachian culture, uh, where there's drunkenness, opioids, fatherlessness, and oftentimes an unwillingness to, to work or earn a paycheck. And, of course, we see the th same thing happening in our urban communities. Now, you know, having said all that, I'm very quick to acknowledge that our Western culture is in decline. I mean, clearly we've got issues. We've got lawlessness. We've got sexual perversion. We've got statism. We've got socialism. We've got homosexuality, transgenderism. We have business and political corruption. We have abortion. These are all obvious to us who want to follow Christ. But, you know, that, that's kind of, the, kind of the reason I, I'm laying that out, that, you know, really our culture is superior because it's founded on a Judeo-Christian culture or scripture. But, again, we've been losing it, and we've got to get back to it. Yeah, it's um, it's almost shocking to hear nowadays in the, our um, heightened sense of uh, political correctness when we uh, identify one culture being superior to another. Uh, right away, someone might start accusing us uh, of, of various yeah. things, and um, there's a lot of pushback to this idea of a culture being superior to others. Uh, why all the pushback? Well, that's a great question, and uh, you're absolutely right. There is huge pushback on that, and I think we have to go back in history and realize that, um, uh, you know, ideas always have consequences, and up until maybe the, certainly the, through the 1600s, but in, into the 1700s, we had the Great Awakening from about 1735 to about 1751, right in there. And there was a massive turning to Christ in America with the preaching of George Whitfield, Jonathan Edwards, and William and Gilbert Tennant, and many, many others. But by the 1760s, 1770s, somewhere in there, the, um, the godless atheist philosophers in France um, began to make a big impact on this country. And um, uh, that was 
then that brought us the French Revolution of 1789. And uh, so at that time, the Western world, uh, Western Europe and the United States, began to uh, replace the Bible as our authority with man as the source of authority. And of course, we now call that secular humanism. Jean-Jacques Rousseau was a major player in that. Um, there were others, but those were major players. And, and it moved us away from the Bible as our authority, and man became the measure of all things. And there's a certain theology with that. There's a certain philosophy of life with that. But it's all founded on this idea of secular humanism. Man is the measure of all things. So we jettisoned the Bible, and now we, generally speaking, have put man in the place of God. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. Um, a lot of uh, folks um, don't really understand our constitutional republic. Um, even in this past election, we heard uh, concerns from a certain segment of the populace that uh, we weren't sufficiently being democratic. Um, why is it important that we're um, distinctively a constitutional republic as opposed to just a plain democracy? Well, um, again, I believe that that's what, I think that's what God has ordered um, for us. And, um, you know, um, to kind of go back to that, to kind of give this a little bit more meaning, I think it's important that we understand a little bit more about secular humanism and the foundation of that movement and where it's brought us today. For example, uh, in just summary fashion, I would suggest that the theology, that is the uh, this, the theology in secular humanism is atheism, that there is no God. The ethics of humanism, or what we might say how people should act, how they should live, is a moral relativism. And the biology, or the science of secular humanism, is Darwinism. And the psychology of secular humanism is self-actualization. And we see that so prominently displayed today. You know, self-actualization is it's all about me. Uh, I can do anything I wish to do and so forth. And I always jokingly say, if, if I could do anything I want to do, well, how come I can't just decide at age 65, when I never had any speed in the first place, to say, I really want to become the gold medalist in the 100-meter dash at the next <laughs> Olympics? It's not going to happen. It wouldn't have happened when I was 25. So, I mean, it's mm. ludicrous to say I can be anything I want to be. I understand what people are saying, but there's this, there's, this, uh, there's this idea that we are the measure of all things. Then to go further, I, I would say that the sociology of a secular humanism really is the non-traditional family. This is a major movement. Uh, that is, uh, you know, the traditional family is a man and a woman in marriage with children. Today, in, uh, the sociology and the non-traditional family secular humanism is the homosexual union or transgenderism. You see it just being pushed on us all the time. Furthermore, I would say the economics of uh, secular humanism is socialism or statism. It's a mandated redistribution of wealth. This is so prevalent even in the church. I'm, a, I'm astonished at how many younger people have just bought in 
to the Bernie Sanders idea of socialism. And I don't think they really are thinking it through, but that's kind of where we are. Yeah, that's so um, true. And then, and then, but but specifically uh, dealing with the issue now at hand, I think we could say that the politics, and this is why I'm getting to the answer here, a long way getting the answer of your question. The the politics of the secular humanism is globalism or a one world government. That's what it's all about. And you know, if you go back in the Bible, you see evidence of this in the Tower of Babel. That's exactly what was trying to, they were trying to do. We're going to build this this uh, monument to ourselves. We're gonna we're gonna make ourselves equal with God. Uh, we are going to be one. And then God says, "No." God came down to them, and He separated them. He set them out. He put He put different languages in there. But man always has a desire to to be on top and to the way that he does this is he puts everybody together in a globalistic fashion, one world government. And you were getting to the question earlier about democracy or republic. See, the secular humanist believes in democracy, but it's a different type of democracy. They uh, they don't believe in democracy just in voting rights. We would we would say as Christians that of course everyone who is qualified to vote should have the right to vote, regardless of his religion, regardless of his ethnicity or anything else. He should have that right to vote. Uh, but the secular humanist takes it much further. He wants to have this democracy in everything. In other words, we're all to be one. So if you really think about what's happening and, and just give, the, as an illustration, the United Nations is a classic example of this. The whole idea is that national or individual preferences of religion, morality, self-government, and economics must be sacrificed for the common good of all people. That's the secular humanist view. Because you see, the secular humanist believes in evolution. That is, that man is progressing towards some sort of utopia, and that utopia can be realized on Earth through a one-world government. Isn't that what the United Nations is seeking to do? Yeah, it seems like it. Yeah, and then, and then finally, the secular humanist believes that eventually, due to man's innate intelligence, goodwill, and cooperative skill, that the world will be a peaceful place. Now, we know differently. We know that man is born a sinner, that man is born a rebel against God. And we know that the best thing that the, the, the most any country can do, any government can do, is restrain evil. It can never make someone good. It can never make someone love another. I've used the example before, the, the Voting Rights Act and the Civil Rights Act of 1965 and 66 were very, very good laws. I'm very thankful we had those laws because, unfortunately, there was discrimination against our African-American populace. So we needed laws that it's, – it's shocking to even have to say this now, of course, but we know that black people were not allowed to go into certain restaurants and restrooms in the South where I grew up. I remembered vividly. That's wrong. And, and so the Civil Rights Act was to forbid that. That's good. However, 
that law could never make a white man love a black man, nor could it ever mandate or make a black man forgive a white man for the injustice that he had done. Only Christ working in the hearts of individuals can bring that about. So, but, so the law, this one world government idea, is trying to bring about an inward change that cannot happen apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's uh, so true. I, I, um, I happened to see uh, uh, what appeared to my eye as a precious family eating in a restaurant the other day, and uh, I was impressed with the uh, the attitudes of the folks and the children and how that they, they were being obedient to their parents. And um, I was so glad they were there. Now they happened to be uh, African Americans. And I was so impressed with these children and this mama and dad that uh, obviously uh-huh. loved their children. They would look them in the eye, and the children would respond back. And uh, I thought, how I wish we had more families like that. The, the Lord really makes a huge, huge difference in our lives. And can you help us uh, talk about a little bit more uh, contrasting um, what we have here in America, even though it's flawed, even though we've seen a lot of sin, uh, compared to, let's say, tribalism uh, in, in other places and that sort of thing? Yes. Um, again, I've, I travel two or three times a year to Africa, a couple of year, times a year to India. I've been, I've been to these places many, many times, and there are some very, very wonderful people there. Uh, wonderful Christian people, and God's doing a great work. But they, but they, their, their countries have experienced uh, tremendous poverty, oppression, persecution, uh, disenfranchisement from the um, from the uh, ma- majority people, and it's all it's all stemming from um, their religions, uh, Hinduism is based on the caste system. If you're on top, then great for you. Um, and the people on bottom are there because they've, because they've suffered. Uh, they've, they're suffering because they've done wrong in former lives because they believe in reincarnation. And the only way for you to get uh, to the top, uh, to reach karma, is to suffer many, many times, perhaps many, many lives, um, in uh on this earth and then eventually you'll be purged of all that and we know that's utter and complete folly but that's the way they believe and then you've got these animistic cultures in africa and papua new guinea and other places that believe that there's no way for you to get to god god is so far away that uh the only way you could ever possibly get to him is that when you have offended the spirit deities or your ancestors in some way then you must make sacrifices. Now, lot, sometimes the sacrifices are merely you, you cut the throat of a chicken or a goat and you sprinkle the blood around and that's okay. But there are places still in this world where you've so, you've so offended the gods, the spirit deities, that, listen, you, you've got to uh, sacrifice a child. Oh, dear. It still happens in Uganda. It still happens there and other places as well. So that's the kind of thing we're talking about. And, and when Christianity comes into a culture, it sometimes it takes a while, you know, 100, 200 years, but it begins to transform that culture. I was going to say, this is very much a bottoms-up um, phenomenon. It's not that 
we want Christianity to spread so that it, some political goal can be met. It's completely the other way around. Um, and, and you would know this as much as anyone, being in evangelism. When God changes the heart, amazing things happen because we start loving God and wanting to obey His law. That's right. Let's just give one one practical example. Um, my youngest son's a basketball coach in, in an urban community, and he had this young man come to be on his team, uh, came to live with him his last year of high school. This this kid was in trouble with the law. He was His grades were terrible. He was just, you know, just bad kid. But he wanted to make something of his life, so he was willing to come play for my son, live in his home, and so forth. Make a long story short, this young man became a Christian a senior in high school. He's now playing college basketball. He's a senior. He has the joy of the Lord on his face. He has a girlfriend. He's about to graduate from college. He's going to get married. He's going to get a job. That's what Christianity does. It's Amen. brought him out of a, of, a, of a really, really sordid lifestyle, and now he's on a solid rock, and he's moving forward. Does that mean he's not going to have trouble? Of course. Everybody has trouble. But this young man has been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it's absolutely beautiful to see. Oh, amen to that, yes. Um, Today we're talking with Pastor Al Baker. Uh, He's an evangelist, and he used to pastor church or churches, and uh, it's our honor to talk with him today. Uh, Pastor Al, in the next uh, few minutes, if someone has been listening and they've been paying attention to what you've been saying but they don't have any kind of a relationship with Christ. Uh, how would you counsel them? Well, that's a great question, and I, I love to speak about this with people. And uh, just the other day, I was in California, and I was out speaking and open, in the open air preaching, and I made the statement. I said, listen, we, uh, we have a lot of problems in this world. We have racism. We have bigotry. We have genocide. We have thievery and all this kind of stuff going on, corruption in business and politics and so forth. What's, why is that? And I say, I say the major reason is we're born with a rebellious heart. Everyone is. I didn't say we're as bad as we could be, but we have this inclination to do wrong. We know we should not steal or lie or or abuse people, and yet there's this instinctive notion to do that. And so we have a rebellious heart, and uh, that rebellious heart leads us to do all these, these wicked things. Now, because we do these wicked things, we have done things that are wrong. We, we're guilty. We sometimes are ashamed of what we've done. And uh, the Bible says that, therefore, we not only have a rebellious heart, but we have a filthy past. And then thirdly, we have a poisonous life. There are things that we say and things that we do that are like a herbicide spread on a, on a on farmland. And that herbicide is spread on the farmland. Everything that comes in contact with it dies. And so our speech and the way that we act at times can just bring death to a family, to a marriage you know, to children-parent relationships, neighbor-to-neighbor, community member-to-community member, member, church member-to-another church member, one ethnicity to another ethnicity, one country to another. That's what happened. And so we just have, so I would say we have to realize that's who we are. We're born with a rebellious nature. We have a filthy past. We have a poisonous life. But here's the good news. Jesus Christ came to this earth. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross. He was raised again from the dead. 
And when we see our lostness, we call upon him. When we repent and say, God, I see that I'm wrong. I want to move in the right direction. When we believe on Jesus and really trust what he did on Calvary's cross for us, then we ask him for a new heart. Would you, Jesus, take out my rebellious heart and give me your heart that loves you and hates my sin? And when he does that, that's when we're able truly to repent and believe on Jesus. And when we do that, he takes away our sin as far as the east is from the west. He gives us his very righteousness, which is an amazing thing. And then he gives us his Holy Spirit so that we can live in a way that honors him. So a Christian is someone who has the heart of Jesus in regeneration. He has the righteousness of Jesus in justification. And he has the holiness of Jesus in his sanctification. And the way we get it is we must repent and believe the gospel. And it can happen to anyone, anywhere, but God's got to work in their heart and they've got to see their need. And he is able, willing, ready, quick to save anyone. It doesn't matter who they are, it doesn't matter what they've done, if they will call upon him in faith and he will save them. Amen. Amen. Today we've been talking with Pastor Al Baker. Uh, He serves with Presbyterian Evangelistic Fellowship. And uh, Pastor Al, if someone would like to uh, visit you on the web or maybe they have a question, how could they get in touch with you? Well, they could uh, get on our website, which is pefministry.org, and just write me, or they can send me an email if they'd like. My email address is al.baker, that's A-L dot B-A-K-E-R, 1952 at gmail.com. Okay. And I'd love to hear from people. That would be great. Uh, that's wonderful. Pastor Al, thank you so much for taking your precious time and sharing it with our listeners today. Glad to do it, Dan. Anytime, and may the Lord continue to bless your work. Amen. And dear listener, please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer.